The Sports Pan lives here on ESPN-UP and online with our app, Tanner Hoops, with you with Submarquette Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for hanging out with us. Now, before we get to the phone line, because I've got a very special guest in here today, I want to give you a little bit of background on who he is. Mr. Andrew Banstra is going to be co-hosting the show with me today. I met Andrew in college back in the great state of Iowa. We were sports directors at Campus Radio, KBVU 97.5 in northwestern Iowa. We did that for at least two, almost three full years. And I'm so proud of what we were able to do in that time. Uh, Not only were we great work partners, we were great friends, still are. And he has just accepted his first professional job as the broadcast director and media relations coordinator for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs of the American Association of Professional Baseball. So not bad for a school of about 900 that did not have students broadcasting sports five years ago at this time. But we co-hosted a show for two years, Friday Night Hoops, Banstra, and more. And eight months after our first episode, we were blessed to go down to the Society of Collegiate Journalists Award and win first place in the nation, beating out the Syracuses, the Quinnipiacs, the big boys. And we are proud to be able to get a little bit of a comeback, a last hurrah, and get the old band back together, this time on an ESPN platform. Andrew, man, it is a pleasure. Always good talking to you and having you on. Man, this is going to be a lot of fun here over the next hour. You know, Tanner, I'm really happy that that you invited me to come on with you when you told me the other day. I was real excited, and like you said, it's really, really fun to get it back together. I want to give you some credit. You're the one that started everything at KBBU, so I was just happy that you let me join on with you, but I'm happy that of all that we've accomplished and uh, happy to be back together. Well, and he's getting set to take off for Washington, D.C. here in the next few months. And real quickly, just in case a lot of my listeners wouldn't know up here, tell me about the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs and the American Association of Pro Baseball. They are in the Atlantic League, essentially its own league outside of the MLB. You get a lot of different types of players, whether it be guys that are trickling back down that used to be in the MLB, and now they're playing um, at this level, trying to get back to the MLB, whether it be guys that didn't ever get ever get picked up by a team and trying to get back into the major league system. So it's basically essentially another stepping stone, but maybe a little bit faster of a stepping stone later in your career to try to get back up to the MLB level. Not too shabby. First job right out of college, getting to cover guys with MLB experience or who soon will have some. So I'm glad that things are working out for you. Can't wait to follow your career. But, man, let's get right to it. we got a lot to cover here in the next hour. We sure do. I'm excited to do it. Well, let's start with Kyler Murray. Yesterday, right before I took the air, he declared officially for the NFL draft, which, in my opinion, is the right move. It doesn't tie him down to doing one or the other gives him the freedom, the opportunity to keep his options open and be eligible. And I've wrestled with this, and I've tried coming up with a decision as to what I would do if I were Kyler Murray. And I finally feel like I know what I would do if I were him. I think I would declare for the NFL draft as he did. He'll get drafted in the first round if he does commit to wanting to play football. He can play there for a year. He'll make good money, I'd say $20, 25000000 right off the bat. And... If things don't pan out, you're still young enough. You can make a start in baseball. That's what I would do if I were him. But you've played collegiate baseball. you played baseball for a long time now. You've played football before. You've been in this experience more than I have. What should Kyler Murray do? What would you do? I think that Kyler Murray has a really interesting situation. I think that um, I think that. In his mind right now, I would guess that he's looking at a couple of things. He's looking at the fact that the A's were able to make an MLB exception to give him more money than he would typically make with $15 million in the MLB. Um, I think that that's got to be extremely appealing, considering the fact that, you know, like you said, 
he's going to make a lot of money in the NFL, but I think if you're looking at it from a money standpoint and where you're going to have a longer career, more likely it would be the MLB with his size, you know, 5'10", 5'11", not a very heavy guy. He runs the ball a lot. A 1,000-yard rusher this past season as a quarterback. That can run a couple of questions. I like to call it the Curry effect, kind of. With Steph Curry in the NBA, he changed the game. Everybody loves shooting threes. Well, I kind of see the same thing a couple years ago with Robert Griffin III. Everybody in the NFL was like, wow, this guy Mm -hmm. can run and pass. So it's kind of like Kyler Murray, the same thing. But if you're Kyler Murray, you also know that one big hit in the NFL can derail you from being able to go to the NFL and stay in the NFL or even go back to baseball. He's a guy that had 26 extra base hits in 51 games last season in the ML, excuse me, in uh, at Oklahoma in baseball. So obviously relies on his speed a lot. But at the same time, when you look at the stats, and I, my guess is he has enough faith in himself to stay with it. With football, the stats rely on the fact that he should, he has to stay with football. I mean, number one in the NCAA in total yards, total touchdowns, fifth in the Big 12 in rush yards, um, fourth in rushing touchdowns, first in passing in TDs. Then you look back last season in baseball, he hit 296, which is good, but it's not first in the nation in yards and touchdowns. And the season before, he hit 122 in 49 at-bats. So I think that Despite the fact that the injuries can be a little bit scary, I think you've got to go football with the stats and just the way it looks and the type of talent you and I both know he can be in this league. Yeah, you brought up a few good points that I want to throw at you, a little bit of a two-part question. One is you brought up his build. He's listed at five foot eleven, 195 pounds. I think both of those numbers are very much exaggerated. I was listening to Golick and Wingo on the way into the office today, and Golick was telling stories about how when they went for weigh-ins, him, his son, they would both bring something that would help their weight once they got on the scale. They had something on them that kind of skewed their weight a little bit, that made the coaches satisfied. I'm guessing something like that occurred with Kyler Murray, or the coaches themselves are the ones skewing the weight. I don't know, and I won't speculate on that, but I don't believe that he's either 5'11", or 195 pounds. You also brought up a really good comparison in Robert Griffin III, a guy who did win the Heisman Trophy as a senior, went on to the NFL, and ended up being one of the bigger busts of our generation. Kyler Murray, I feel like the ceiling is so much higher for him in football than it is for baseball. And his ceiling in football might be higher than a lot of guys ever could dream. Does he not remind you of a more athletic version of Drew Brees, a guy like Drew Brees who can throw the ball, he's undersized, but he can run, and he has that dynamic element to him. And he's coming into the league at a time where the rules are changing to benefit offense. He's going to be at his prime when the NFL's at an offensive peak. I think that could benefit him in so many ways and go down as a legend more than he could in baseball. I think you're exactly right. I think that um, the Robert Griffin, the third comparison um, is not as accurate as the Drew Brees comparison that you made. I think that RG3 relied more on the running. Um, I think one of the really nice things about Kyler Murray is that he's so effective at the run. He averaged 7.2 yards per rushing attempt, which is obviously insane. But at the same time, like you said, you're looking at a guy that is likely 5'9", 5'10", 1'. 70 maybe, that's yeah. just a rough, at the ballpark estimate, but I mean, you're taking a hit from Aaron Donald, and that, that's not going to be friendly to a guy 170 pounds, so um, I think you're right, though. I think that this guy is separated as a pocket passer, a passer on the run. I think that he's going to be able to do some things like Patrick Mahomes did, that you just look at the throws he makes on the run, and you're just like, how did this guy possibly do that? Um, I, I think in many ways he's a lot like Drew Brees in that he's undersized, but he gets the passes in the right spots, 
And I think you're right. I think this is a guy we look back nine, ten years later and think this guy was really thinking about not playing football and playing baseball. So I, I, I think you're right. He could be one of the most dynamic players to ever play the sport. Let me throw something else that's a little bit of speculation at you. If you're a general manager in the draft, you're a team with a top ten pick and you're the New York Giants, you're the Arizona Cardinals, you're a team that could be in the market for a quarterback. You could throw the Washington Redskins up there as well. And you're looking to bring in the new big splash in the quarterback market in the NFL. But Kyler Murray hasn't committed by that time to playing one sport or the other. Do you take a chance and risk a top 10 pick on a guy like that? Because I wonder how much the team that drafts him will affect his, his decision because he is undersized. And one bad hit, especially with some of the bad boys that are in the NFL on defensive lines, how much that could impact him. I wonder almost if he sees some team drafts him with an atrocious offensive line, if that may alter his decision and make him rethink baseball. I think that's a good question, and I think that a guy like Lamar Jackson is also going to change GM's mind because – Jackson, very much like Tyler, is very underweight to play at the NFL level. But Jackson was making it work. He was rushing the ball this past season. He put on an incredible display for the Ravens. I still can't believe what they did. Um, I, I think it definitely makes you rethink things. I think that I saw a video of Cliff Kingsbury, the new Cardinals head coach, and he was saying, and I think that this is a little bit of a mistake on his part, that he was saying he would take Tyler number one overall. The Cardinals have the number one overall pick. Now, mm. I think that's a mistake because they already literally just took a quarterback in the first round last year. Um, if Tyler didn't end up going to the NFL draft, then that would have just been a lot of internal tor- turmoil for a coach that just got hired. But Nonetheless, I think if I'm a GM, that's a tough decision. I think that I talk to Kyler a lot, and you still know at the end of the day you're not going to have that definite, you know, right there. You know that you're going to get him. Hey, one more point I wanted to raise on this from Kyler's perspective that may be a point GMs may make to him to convince. I looked it up, and according to Bleacher Report. 66% 66% of MLB first-round draft picks make it to the majors. Mm. And who's to say what percent of those stay in for a long time or become top-tier athletes? And I think that there's no question that Kyler's going to be one of the premier guys in the NFL. Should he go there in the next couple of years and stay healthy, who's to say he's going to do that in the MLB? Which means that... For a long, long time, he's going to be making money in the NFL. If he doesn't make it in the MLB, that can be a really, really tricky thing for him. So I think that if I'm a GM, that's what I'm telling him. I'm telling him that you're our guy. I think that the Redskins, the Giants, are a couple of places that can offer that. Also, if I'm a GM, I'm telling him that it's much easier and much more common to go play, you know, I I think that it would be an easier transition if he went to the NFL and then went back to baseball as opposed to a Brandon Whedon type approach and go play baseball and then go play football. For whatever reason, I just think it would be an easier transition. Andrew Banstra, our guest in studio with us. We're up against our first time out. We'll come back and transition over to college hoops. Number one goes down last night on their home floor. What did we learn about them? Is their best player who we thought it was? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banstra with you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Well, last night, the Duke Blue Devils, the top-ranked team in the country, lost at home for just the first time since 2006. That was at least the last time that they were ranked number one and lost at home. They fall in overtime to Syracuse by a score of 95-91. to 91. Andrew, when you look at this Duke team, it's so easy to fall in love and become obsessed almost with the high-flying offense that they 
that they boast over there. You have guys like Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and R.J. Barrett, who in all likelihood will go top five in the draft next year, all three of them. But the game changed last night when Trey Jones left with an injury. Everybody knows how good those three young superstars are in the offensive end. But is Trey Jones the most valuable player on that Duke team? Or at least is there a case to be made that he's the one guy Mike Krzyzewski can't live without on this year's team? Because he's their best defender. When he left the game last night, Syracuse absolutely pinned their ears back. They just attacked and they dominated and they never let up. It's like Duke thought... This is a Syracuse team that's underwhelmed. We're at home. We're the top team in the country. We've got three top five draft picks on our team. We're just going to wait for this team to know their role and just back down. And they never did. They just kept coming and coming and coming. They forced overtime. They took advantage with Trey Jones out of the lineup. And even if Zion gives you a 35-point monster performance like he did last night, it's not enough to win on your home floor against an okay Syracuse team. I almost wonder if Trey Jones might be the most valuable player that they have on that team. I, I think you're exactly right. I think that um, Trey Jones was a top 25 prospect coming out of college, or excuse me, coming out of high school. On many other Division One teams, a top 25 prospect on top of even one top five prospect is going to be huge. But when you have the top three players in the nation and the top 20, he was number 24, I believe. Obviously, he's going to be overshadowed a little bit. You look at his numbers, they don't stand out. Um, eight, eight points a game, almost six assists a game. That's pretty good in college. Um, three rebounds a game. The two steals a game, I think, is really big. But the stat sheet is not what really does it for me for Trey Jones. I think you're right. I think it's the intangible. For whatever reason, he brings something to the table that is the glue to that team. And when he's not on the court, very much like, and not from a skill perspective, but for whatever reason, very much like LeBron James, when he's not on the team, excuse me, when he's not on the floor with his team, they're just not the same team. I think that um, Zion's not a guy that's going to hold, the, you know, handle the ball, work down low probably is what he's more likely to do. Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, both guys that are 6'7", six, 6'8", six, they don't have phenomenal passing ability or dribbling. Trey Jones is the type of guy that has Coach K's mantras in his head, and he's ready to go with them at all times. I think that Trey Jones very well could be the most important piece to this team. Obviously not the most talented, but I think that also plays into Trey Jones' draft stock a lot as well, showing NBA teams as an unselfish guy that can be the glue to a team, and he's already proved his intangible. So I think that you raise a very good point in that he has the ability to be one of those guys that can be a game changer. Well, I like the point that you raised as well in the sense that the best player and the most valuable player to a specific team are not always the same person. Zion's the best player on that team, there's no doubt, but based on the scheme that Coach K runs and the leadership, the veteran status that Trey Jones brings to that group, in my opinion, he's the most valuable for that Duke squad. And Coach K didn't know how long he'd be out. He said, it quote, a while. But it's something with his shoulder. I think it's NAC. I, I don't know if there's a timetable right now for Trey Jones to come back. But when you look at the ACC, they could be hurting because, I mean, let's be honest, they got away with one on Saturday against Florida State. He shouldn't have been that wide yeah. open when he hit the game winner. They got away with one against Florida State, and Florida State got absolutely thrashed last night against a pit team that went winless in conference play last year. And then Duke is going to have to go get Virginia this weekend. And Virginia might not get through undefeated tonight because they got to welcome another top 10 team in Virginia Tech. So, and the ACC is dog-eat-dog dog as ever. Yeah, it's exciting to watch. Typically, you have a huge power balance issue in the ACC in basketball where you have a couple of teams at the top and the rest of it's not much fun to watch. But this year, a whole bunch of teams doing a lot of big things. When you look at it on paper, there's obviously no question that Duke should be that top dog. And I'm not saying that they're not anymore. 
but they've also shown weaknesses. This is their second loss of the season. Um, I, I think this is a team that easily have the talent and the coaching to go undefeated, and I don't think that should necessarily be an expectation. I think that I think you're right, and I think there's one more interesting thing about Duke. I, I wanted to know your opinion on this. Mm. Um, in the NBA, we see a super team type atmosphere, a super team mentality. That's kind of what's happening in college basketball with Zion and so on and so on. I wonder if in the future teams keep wanting to, or players keep wanting to team up with others. Maybe they're overshadowed. They don't want to be in the future. But at the same time, it shows NBA teams that they can play with other superstars. You know, you look at the traditional dynasties, whether it be in the NBA, the NFL, college football, or basketball, you think the New England Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, Alabama football, Duke basketball, all of them are still in the upper echelon of what they do, but all of them have shown cracks in the armor this year. And you wonder if maybe teams are adjusting or that scheme, whatever they have that's made that dynasty run, is just starting to go out of style, and you've got to learn how to adapt as a coaching staff. And that's going to be on Belichick, Kerr, Saban, and Krzyzewski. You're exactly right. It's... It... It's almost, it's almost like you have to have them adjust their coaching style, something they've done for so long. And I think any coach is going to have to adjust his coaching style to some extent to coach a player like Zion because nobody's really ever seen something like him. At the same time, he's going to get his either way. And I think that Coach K has adapted his playing style throughout the season because Zion continues to break these records. He's moved up to 30, now 35 points last night. And I think he's just going to continue on that track. He's a guy that does it from all aspects. He's shooting um, from non-three-pointers. He is shooting 74% on the year, which is Mm. insane, better than his free throw percentage. He's averaging 9.4 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, and 21.2 points. Decent. He's, He's something else. I tell you what, you look at Duke, and they're no longer going to be the number one team in the nation coming up next week. So who's going to be? A lot of people think it's going to be Michigan. That makes a lot of my listeners up here pretty happy. Michigan, I thought, deserved to be the number one team going into this week. It's almost a sin up here to say that this team could be better than the Fab Five because my listeners up here have so much respect for that squad and what they're able to do. But is it crazy to say that this team could be better than the Fab Five? Michigan just doesn't look like they have a weakness right now. I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're better than the Fab Five. Um, I think that you're right. They have not shown any weakness. The Big Ten is as strong as it's been in a long, long time. And the fact that they're still 17-18-0 and playing against that strong of the Big Ten, it'd be one thing if it was a year where it was an off year. We've got a lot of Big Ten teams playing very, very, very good basketball. I think that this is a Michigan team that is one of the best that it's ever been. But I don't know that Michigan will necessarily be number one. I think that in pecking order, obviously, they should slide into number one, into the number one spot. Um, But when you look at the points in the AP poll, 1,473 points for Virginia Mm. and 1,497 points for Michigan. So should Virginia knock off Duke this weekend, I think that coming Monday on the next poll, Virginia could very well take over the number one spot as both teams would still be undefeated. And if Virginia wins tonight. Yeah, they've got Virginia Tech tonight, so they have a chance to take down number nine and number one within the next week and still be one of the two undefeateds left in the country along with Michigan. Michigan State's another team that I don't know if they're surprising people up here, but I know a lot of my listeners that bleed the green and white, they're pretty pleased with how things are going for Tom Izzo's squad, but some of the others aren't so much with the Wisconsin Badgers, man. They lose again last night. I know Minnesota, Maryland, some of those teams they've lost. I know they're better this year and they're having up years, but we went from a Wisconsin team that a lot of people had high expectations for, would be a top 25 throughout the year, now we're starting to wonder what they need to do in conference play to be able to make the tournament. 
I think that in many ways, Wisconsin basketball and football are very much like Iowa football in that they don't recruit the freak athletes. And I think that neither of them may have the base or the ability to recruit the freak athletes for many times. Many times you're going to have guys at the helm that are more traditionalistic basketball players, like maybe an Aaron White from a couple of years ago. You look at an Alex Hornibrook for the Wisconsin Badgers football, or you look at an Ethan Happ. I think from many perspectives, a lot of times it's the coaching that gets you there. Um, I'm not putting it on their coaching this year. I just think that the Big Ten is an extremely athletic conference this year. You look around the board, obviously Michigan State is huge. Um, Tyler Cook is eating people. You've got a couple of big guys in Nebraska, Maryland, obviously. And then you look over at Indiana, Romeo Langford, a top ten recruit. So I, I think in many ways the Big Ten is much more talented than it's been in a long time. The Badgers will turn it around. They'll make the tournament. They could even make a run with a guy like Half on the team. Andrew Banster in the studio with us. We hit the bottom of the hour. That means it's time to take a break. Coming up, I owe this segment to my new best friend, Mr. Will Kane, who's going to be coming on here in about half an hour. Football in the Lone Star State. What do the Dallas Cowboys need to do to really contend for a Super Bowl? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banstra with you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Here is your Sports Center update. Tottingham has announced that English soccer star Harry Kane will miss at least a month with ligament damage in his left ankle. Harry Kane, of course, the superstar over the summer for England in the World Cup. Former Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Wimbush is heading to UCF as a graduate transfer. Wimbush started four games for the Fighting Irish this season, and he led the team to wins over Michigan, Vanderbilt, Ball State, and Florida State, but ultimately lost the job to Ian Book. And finally, the Clemson Tigers celebrated their national football championship at the White House last night. They were treated to a buffet which included over 1,000 fast food items from McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King, and per President Trump, All 1,000-plus burgers were consumed in less than an hour. Dabo, wherever he goes, man, he's going to know how to party. I tell you what, I like Dabo. I know what he did to Notre Dame in the playoff this year, but I love Dabo Sweeney. I like him a lot more than Saban. I'll say that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that uh, a lot of people like Dabo, and I think that you and I were talking about the other day that – Justin Ross, I think he said that's the reason he left the state of Alabama and went to Clemson. Mm-hmm. And the, the culture, the culture at Clemson, I think a lot of people like that. I sure like Dabo. He's the type of guy you'd want to sit down and just hang out with. You know, he's, he's a cool guy, it seems like. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banstra in studio with you. Andrew, a longtime friend and colleague. He is the play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs of the Atlantic Professional Baseball League. Well, we were talking about the Dallas Cowboys, and to give a little context to something I said before we went off air for the second break is my new friend Will Kane. Uh, I talked to Will yesterday. I was on his show very briefly. I'm not best friends with him. I'd like to be. We're trying to get him here in the sports pen. Maybe it'll happen someday. But either way, I felt like I owed him this about the Dallas Cowboys and breaking down what is in the mind of Jerry Jones and what have you. The Cowboys got on a run late in the season after just a terrible start where they were flopping around. They pick up Amari Cooper. The season seemed to change. I'm not totally convinced it was getting Amari Cooper that flipped the season for them. He definitely helped, but I don't know that he was the make-or-break issue for the Cowboys. I think they just started realizing who they were, that they have Ezekiel Elliott and they have a good defense and that they pound the ball with him and control time possession. But either way, the Cowboys got on a run, got to the playoffs, actually won a playoff game, but they come up a little bit short again. And that always seems to be the mantra for them. They haven't been to the NFC Championship game in 23 years. I don't know where they're going to try and start or if they're going to do anything to reshape this team in the offseason, 
But I mean, something's got to be done because they've got a good young core of players. But I don't know if it's anyone in the personnel. There's still, I still think a few pieces away. I don't know that player personnel is going to change or if the coaching staff is. But if they really want to be an upper echelon football team, something has to change in this offseason. Yeah, I think that in many ways, the whole reason that the Cowboys gave away, you know, stopped going with Tony Romo and went to Zach Prescott is because they didn't think Tony Romo could ever get over that hump. And it looks like Prescott had the hot hand at the time. He definitely did. I think that's the big reason they did that in the first place. Jerry Jones has never been shy about opening his checkbook. Mm. And I think at a point, he needs to decide, I understand I have a very good relationship with Jason Garrett, but Jason Garrett, just like Terrell Owens said, I completely agree with what he said. He's just not getting it done. He's been there a long, long time. And he's a good coach. He puts together 10-6 and six seasons, but it's kind of like Nebraska football. Yeah. Bob Pelini was giving you 9-3 and three seasons, but that's not what Nebraska football expects. They expect to be at the top of the top, the cream of the crop, and Jason Garrett's just not the guy to get you there. You look at the Final Four this year, the coaches in the NFL's Final Four, and a lot of people are saying this could be the best Final Four of this generation in the NFL playoffs. And you look at the coaches of those teams. Belichick, Reed, Peyton. Sean McVay is just a second-year coach, but he's given us a ton of reason to think someday he will be part of that class. Jason Garrett just doesn't fit into that class. I mean, even if you look at some of the coaches who have been to the Final Four recently, Doug Peterson, Mike Zimmer, I don't think Jason Garrett fits in with that class. Or Mike Tomlin going back a couple of years ago. I think any of those guys would be upgrades for the Cowboys down in Dallas right now at the head coaching position. So whether it's Jason Garrett, which I don't think he'll be on the move, or at least offensive coordinator Scott Linehan, I don't think he'll be on the move either because Garrett is fiercely loyal to Linehan because Linehan hired him on as the quarterback's coach when he was at Memphis. And neither of them are going to part with each other. So if there's going to be a change in the coaching staff. That's going to have to come from Jerry Jones. And I don't think he believes there needs to be a change in the coaching staff. He just believes that he can write a check and the Cowboys are going to be okay and figure it out. And that's part of the thing is that, for me, it's hard to pinpoint a personnel group that severely needs additions. I mean, all right, let's look through it. Defensive secondary, pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. The linebacking core is one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. Defensive line, you've got Demarcus Lawrence. It could use a couple of upgrades, but that's a good D-line. Offensive line is ridiculous. They've got all the three of their Pro Bowl All-Pro guys locked through 2022 at least. Their biggest Zeke problem is, is their health, though. What's that? Their health is their biggest problem. That's very true, too. But then Zach and Zeke, I mean, if the, if the offensive line could stay healthy, I just I don't see a personnel group where I think, well, if that was different, they'd be it. I think, for me, it keeps coming back to Jason Garrett. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say he's a bad coach by any means. I just think that they need an improvement. If they, if they want to be what they are, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being that type of team. But that's not what the Cowboys brand is about. And if I'm Jerry Jones, he doesn't seem like the type of guy to shy away from doing what's best, best, best for the team. Jason Garrett's had a long, long time and a lot of talent. I mean, Jason Garrett's had Terrell Owens, Dez Bryant, now Amari Cooper, Zeke. I mean, at, at a point, you just got to say he's not the guy. When you look at the Dallas personnel, you brought it up, and I, I agree with you. They have no starters older than 30, and they have five guys who are either first or second team all pro this year. I still think they're a few pieces away but they've got a great young core right now. When you look at their contracts, however, you've got a lot of guys that are either on one-year deals or contracts that are expiring here over the next year or two. And I'm not saying that if there was any time the Cowboys were going to make a run, it's here and now. I just I still think they're a few pieces away before they can start thinking about that. But while they don't have anybody over 30 years old and they've got guys on expiring deals – 
Now is the time where you got to start making some moves, whether that be upgrading the personnel around them or upgrading in the coach's locker room, what have you. Because Dak Prescott, I'm not sold on Dak Prescott, to be honest with you. He's not a consistent enough quarterback to be able to take advantage of a guy like Amari Cooper. He's a great runner, not a consistent thrower. But they showed in 2016 that Dak is good enough to win. He's good enough to go 13-3 and if you put an all-pro offensive line in front of him. And they still have the majority of those guys. They're just not healthy right now. Right. I, I completely agree. I think that if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I honestly, you're right. A couple of expiring contracts, a lot of rookie deals. That's going to be the thing. So obviously Jerry Jones right away is going to want to open the checkbook, but at the same time, you can't open it too far or else you're not going to be able to re-sign the likes of if they want to re-sign Zach and obviously they want to re-sign Zeke. Um, if I'm the Cowboys, then I think that to be honest, this goes with me for every team. If I'm the Cowboys, I try to get in the running for AB. Now, I understand mm. that that puts you out of contention of a draft pick, probably a first-round draft pick for the next two years now that you've already given up Amari. And I think that the Cowboys are one of the, if not the best, drafting teams in football. You look back the last couple of years, you look at Zeke, Dak, Leighton Van Der Esch, um, and so on and so on. They, they just draft well. And I also think that an offense, no matter who the quarterback is, if he's an NFL quarterback that's already shown he can win, if you've got a great offensive line around him, should they be healthy, plus Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, and Antonio Brown, and a great defense, I think even Jason Garrett might be able to get that team to the Super Bowl. We were talking about Ezekiel Elliott and keeps going back to the paycheck situation. Zeke is one of those guys that is going to want to get paid, and he should. One of the few times I agree wholeheartedly with Stephen A. Smith is when it comes to giving Ezekiel Elliott the max contract. Pay the man. He earns it. Pay the man. He's the one piece that you cannot afford to lose if you're the Dallas Cowboys. If there's anybody on that team you can't afford to have out of your lineup, it's Ezekiel Elliott. But you've got a lot of guys that are going to be wanting to get paid here over the next year or two with Cole Beasley, Lawrence is another guy. A lot of these guys are going to want to get paid, but the lion's share of it is going to go to Ezekiel Elliott. The good news for Jerry Jones is they have $50 million in cap space coming up here in the next year. So there will be money to keep a lot of their guys intact, but they're not going to be able to go out in free agency. They're going to have to draft well and sign to rookie deals. You're exactly right. I mean, there's no question that Ezekiel Elliott is the centerpiece of that franchise right now. He can't go anywhere, especially with the way that they built their team with such a good offensive line and not an incredible passing quarterback. That team is not going to say sub-500 without Zeke, but they're not that good without Zeke. And I think that that's saying a lot, especially in the atmosphere of the NFL right now when you look around um, Le'Veon Bell obviously made a big push to try to help out a lot of people, get them big contracts, help himself out and get a big contract. But then James Conner comes in and disproves Le'Veon's point that he deserves that money. James Conner showed he can do it in that system, too. C.J. Anderson's shown he can do that in the Rams system, too. You look around the league, uh, Damian Williams, the third string in Kansas City, he's showing he can do it in that system, too. Rod Smith, when he plays for Ezekiel Elliott, he's not showing he can do it, too. The third string, he's not showing he can do it, too. Zeke is one of the few guys that he's making the difference. And, uh, I mean, Zeke was plugged up against the Rams this past week, but that's really all you need to plan for if all that you have in the passing game is Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. We're up against a break. We'll take our last time out. We'll come back. I'm glad you brought up Le'Veon Bell. It's a great segue to Antonio Brown and the saga going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Plus, we'll touch on the NBA. Anybody out there, give us a reason why James Harden shouldn't repeat as the MVP. We're all ears. That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Andrew Banstra, thanks for being with us as we wind you down to the 5 o'clock hour. You look at some of the most famous dynasties, and they've all got famous families, especially in football. You think of some of the football families. You've got the Hallises in Chicago, the Fords in Detroit, the Lambos in Green Bay, the Maras in New York, and of course, you've got the Rudys over in Pittsburgh. And they believe so much in consistency, reliability, and their system that they've had in place since, what, the 70s? They've had three coaches since the 70s. They're all about consistency and reliability, and Antonio Brown has given them anything but lately. He told the 49ers he wants to play for them so bad. It would make a lot of sense because you'll have Jimmy Garoppolo, you'll have a nice compliment with George Kittle, and a really good offensive head coach in Kyle Shanahan. But what do the Steelers do right now? I mean, they there is no future between Antonio Brown and the Steelers. I, I don't see it. Anyway, what do you think? I think it's a little bit of a confusing situation because, um, I mean, and who knows how long the turmoil in that locker room has been going on, but from week 16, as far as week 16, we had no clue that any of this was going on. If you would have asked us then, we probably would have said, yeah, I mean, Antonio Brown's going to be a Steeler for a pretty long time. Week 17, well, he's probably not going to be a Steeler next season. And that's what a lot of the reports are saying. So I think that – I just don't know. I, I think that they likely get rid of him. They need a lot in return. Um, but you and I were talking about it the other day, and I think it's very possible. Big Ben put up one of the best seasons he's put up in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he statistically did a lot of things he typically doesn't, even, even without Le'Veon Bell. I think that – they could very well swap Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown for James Conner and Juju. Mm. I, I think that's somewhat of a downgrade, and I think that I think it's going to take a couple of years for James Conner and Le'Veon, excuse me, James Conner and Juju, to get to where AB and Le'Veon were if they can and if they do. By that time, Big Ben's likely too old, mm-hmm. and you know, you don't quite know what's going on. So I think that they need A.B. to continue to be what they're doing. Juju even said yesterday, I want A.B. to stick around, and why wouldn't you if you're Juju? Because obviously, you know, the doubles and the star corners are going to go against A.B. I think that the Steelers would make a mistake by getting rid of A.B. At the same time, I don't know what's going on in the locker room. You look at some of the situations that happen, like going on Facebook Live when Mike Tomlin's addressing the locker room, and that's just not what the Roonies are going to tolerate. I know how good of a player he is, but I know what that family is like, too. And I know that that's just not going to be tolerated there next season. I don't know that Antonio Brown is going to change his ways, though. He's made it clear he doesn't want to be there. So if I'm the Steelers, I'm looking at trade options. But what can you realistically get for a guy like Antonio Brown? Because there's been nobody in NFL history besides Antonio Brown that's had five seasons of 100-plus receptions. But he'll be turning 31 this summer, and he's got a skill set that does not age well. You're at the point where you can sell high if you're Pittsburgh. What can you realistically get for Antonio Brown if you put him on the trade market? I think that's that's the question in and of itself. I think that a, you don't know what you're going to get out of AB necessarily for in the longevity. I think that what I'm about to say is an unfair thing to say, but I also think that it needs to be taken. And hey, we like hot takes on here. I I think that AB's put up numbers that nobody else ever has before. Mm-hmm. But part of the question with Le'Veon was that is it just the system that he's in? And with Big Ben throwing to you, that's why Le'Veon was so complimented because A.B.'s taking some of the pressure away. It likely goes the other way as well. Um, 
A.B., you look back at it, and I hate to put this on him. He's one of the best receivers ever. But at the same time, at the base, he is still a sixth-round draft pick out of Central Michigan. And no offense against Central Michigan at all. Go Chips. That's exactly right. Go Chips. But at the same time, you got to take that into consideration. He's guaranteed his contract right now goes through 2021. But that's a risk I'm willing to take if I'm a team like the 49ers or even the Packers, honestly. Um, I think you likely give up a first, maybe two first-round draft picks for an A-B caliber player. But at the same time, if you play the waiting game and maybe force the Steelers to wait until the offseason and they really want to flip A-B, you might get them for cheap just like the 49ers did Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to move on to the NBA before we run out of time, but I want to get... This from you lastly on the NFL, Super Bowl picks, man. Who are you going with? This year I'd go, uh, let's see. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I don't think I should. It's just like on our old show when I used to take Alabama. Yes. Whoever was playing <laughs> Alabama every week. But I'll go, with, I'll go with the Chiefs and the Saints. I think that those are the two safest picks. I could easily see it going the other way. It's a incredibly strong four. These are the four teams that any NFL fan that isn't in the running with one of their teams should have wanted in the Mm -hmm. final four. I want to see another Chiefs-Rams game like we saw in Week 9. I want to see another Air Raid shootout in the Super Bowl. That'd be the dream come true. That would be absolutely... That'd be perfect for everybody. Great for the NFL ratings. Great for everything. Tell you what, let's move on to the NBA here quick. End the show with that. James Harden, why shouldn't he be the MVP again this year? He goes off for 57 last night against Memphis. Think about what's around him. He, he doesn't have Chris Paul right now. Clint Capella's going to be out for at least a month, maybe a month and a half. Right now it's all on him. And it's not like he's scoring 57, chucking up 100 shots. I mean, he's not only scoring, but he's efficient as well. He's got to be the MVP again this year. I don't think there's any question about it. Absolutely no question about it. I mean, this is not the same guy that um, was traded for Kevin Martin. It's just not back in the day. James Harden is a guy that's averaging 34.8 points a game. I heard this on the Bill Simmons podcast the other day. It brought it to my mind. Here's a list of the people that have averaged 35 points a game or more in an NBA season. Wilt, five times. Jordan, once. Kobe, once. Rick Barry, once. That's the whole list. Mm. James Harden could very well be in that company at the end of the season. Now, the question, obviously, there's a little bit of a question of, at the start of this big pair that he went on, can he continue on this path? I think the answer is yes, and I think he only gets better when less players are around him in some aspects. I think James Harden just loves shooting the ball every time down the floor. Mm-hmm. He's still averaging eight assists a game. Um, I think something very interesting about Harden, too, is that I'd like to know what you think about this, is that Harden isn't in the best shape of anybody in the NBA. Um, he's not going to blow you by because he's so fast. What's impressive to me is that he's so darn deceptive. He's just He'll get you to foul him. He's almost like a more athletic version of Luka Doncic, or I guess you would say it the other way around. Luka is kind of taking from him in a way, but he's so deceptive. He's not that fast or athletic, but he just gets you nonetheless, and I think it's beautiful to watch. James Harden is right now got to be the front runner for MVP. That's not to say that Giannis can't get into the conversation, but this NBA MVP race reminds me a lot of the NFL, is where you've got two guys that right now are far and away ahead of everybody else. In the NBA, that's Harden and Giannis. In the NFL, that's Mahomes and Breeze. Then you've got a few other guys that are in the conversation, but being in the conversation and being an actual contender for MVP are two completely different things. If the season were to end today, where does Giannis fall into that? What's the case for Giannis to be an MVP if the season ended today? I think the case for Giannis to be MVP in many ways is because it'd be a good look for the 
for the NBA. He's a young, exciting guy with a good story. Um, he's a freak of nature as, as it as the story goes. But I don't think there is much of a case for Giannis as the MVP, if at all. If the season ended right now, I think it'd be a shame if Giannis won the MVP. And that's not a same thing about against Giannis. I love Giannis, but James Harden's doing something that literally we've never seen before. Nobody ever before has dropped 30-plus in 17 straight games, and Harden did that before half last night. So I think that right now it's got to go to Harden. Um, I think Giannis has to step it up and do even more than he's doing, and I don't think that's going to happen in Mike Budenholzer's system, and I don't think that's the type of guy Giannis is. Whereas Harden, that's Mike D'Antonio's system. Let Harden shoot as much as he wants, and Harden would love to do that. So I think barring an injury, I think that Harden is on the way up, and you know Houston is too. Without Chris Paul, they've won 14 of 18. I think they'd be even better with Chris Paul, but Harden loves shooting the ball. He's on an unreal tear right now. It doesn't matter how good a defense you play against him. I've got him in the MVP column. 57 points last night. He was efficient as well. Maybe the only story that can somewhat compare out of the NBA last night was that of Iman Shumpert and Yusuf Nurkic. And Shumpert trying to confront Nurkic outside of the team's locker room after the game, after they exchanged a few words on the floor. I loved Nurkic's quote on that. I mean, he's young. He's new to America. I don't know what he understands as far as cultural guidelines, what's politically correct and what have you. But when asked about the situation with Shumpert, he said, I'm not worried about him. He's retiring soon. I said what I said, and I don't need to worry about someone who's retiring soon. Shumpert's 28 <laughs> years old. I mean, he acts like he's got a foot in the grave. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. No, I, I, I do, too. You know, I actually hadn't heard about that story. Um, but I, I think Shumpert's always going to be one of those guys that... Shumpert's always going to be tossing something your way, and you have to expect it. It's almost like a... It's not as much, but it's a little bit like Lance Stevenson. You always know Shumpert's going to be running his mouth, but I think he's been a good veteran pick for the Kings this year. I think that um, they need a veteran presence. He may not be the guy that's the best role model, but he's been putting up numbers, and I think the Kings are a team to watch out for in the West this year, Tanner. Yeah, Andrew Banstra, the voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs on headset with us. We are out of time. Andrew, man, I could go on talking all day with you. Unfortunately, we got turned over to Will Kane here. Appreciate you as always. Had a lot of fun. We'll do this again here real soon. And I'd love to, Tanner. Thank you so much for having me on. That's it for us in the sports pen. Turn you over to Will Kane. That's up next on ESPN-UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.